Welcome to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. We talk about the intersection of parenting and technology. Everything you need to know about raising kids in the digital age. This is Parenting Bites. Hi, everyone. Uh, We are actually not in the studio this week because, believe it or not, our kids are still not in school. So we are taking a much-needed vacation. So we have a special treat. We are rerunning an episode from March where we talk about banning homework, which we thought would still be pretty apt for this back-to-school season. But we've added an extra bonus track. We have an interview with the First Lady of New York, Shirlane McRae, where we talk about the new texting service for teens where they can text if they're feeling depressed, upset, anxious, anything. It's a whole new program designed to get kids reaching out at their most vulnerable time. So we think it's really valuable and really interesting, and we hope you do too. So today on the podcast, we have a new sponsor, actually right in time for back to school. Yeah. Um, it is Kumon, and chances are there's one in your neighborhood, because I feel like there's one on every corner in yep. New York City. So every parent wants their kids to have the best chance to succeed in life. That's why every parent needs to know about Kumon math and reading programs. Created in Japan, of course, almost 50 years ago, the Kumon method has worked for thousands of kids around the world. In fact, most Kumon students are studying above grade level which I guess in New York would be just what you're Normal. supposed to be doing. Yeah. So get on it. That's because unlike sitting in front of a teacher and passively taking notes, which we hate, Kumon actively helps kids cr- develop critical self-learning skills as they advance at their own pace. So students from as young as three through high school gain a valuable academic advantage that can propel them throughout school into college and beyond. See what Kumon can do for your child by visiting a free parent orientation. For a limited time, you could save up to $50 on free registration at Kumon.com. That's K-U-M-O-N dot com. Kumon, where smart kids get smarter. Oh, I like that. I like that idea that your kid is smart. This right. is not because your kid's not smart. Right. Because your kid's already smart and maybe not being able to be in their full potential. Maybe school's not the right structure for them, so they just need some help that to get smarter. That little extra help. Yeah, bring extra the, focus. Bring all the smartness out. Um, this offer is valid at participating centers only. Again, it's $50 on free registration at Kumon.com, and most Kumon centers are independently owned and operated, which I did not know. No, but, I didn't either. Um, we were actually reading Entrepreneur Magazine the other day, and Sophia said, did you know Kumon is a franchise? It was a franchise section, so there you go. Uh, we learned something new every day, so check out Kumon.com where you can save up to $50 on free registration. And it seems like a great way to kick off your back-to-school year, especially if your kid is nervous about subjects. Yeah, start it off right. Start it off right, get them on the right track, get them the right study skills, and let us know how it goes. I'm always curious. We're always, I say that every week, we're always curious to hear people if they've listened to us and like liked our sponsors and mm-hmm. tried it. Um, and yeah, certainly, we want to know. This is an important one. So check them out. We will be back next week with a whole new live show with Andrea and Amy and I all in the studio and our kids back at school. It's Yay! a miracle. <laughs> so we hope you listen to this week's show with our new bonus track and we'll check you out next week. Bye. You're listening to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. Hi, everyone. We're super excited for our first topic today. We have the First Lady of New York City on the phone with us, Shirlane McRae. It is so great to have you. Truly an honor. I'm delighted to be on with you. 
Well, we, you know, this has been, when you, I should preface this for everyone in the audience by saying you announced a, a, a bunch of mental health initiatives, really, um, early on this year. And this texting where high school students could text if they were feeling depressed or just needed help, as opposed to calling on the typical hotline, really caught our attention because it spoke so clearly to how kids communicate yeah, um, and really met them where they're at, which I really appreciate. And so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that and how New York City is really a leader in this area. Yes. Well, you know, students carry a lot of stress, right? <laughs> we all know that. And, and we also know that people like to get services, you know, where they are, like in their language, the way they feel, where they feel comfortable. And so New York City Teen Text was launched as a, a pilot program in 10 New York City schools in March um, because we knew that we had to meet students where they are, which is on their phones. They're always on their phones. And we also know that uh, more than 98% of text messages are open. So a text message is like four more times more likely to be read than an email. Mm -hmm. So it just made sense to put the two together. And students can send an anonymous message, an, an anonymous text message to a trained crisis counselor. And it's available you know, throughout the day and, and on weekends. And I believe it's been pretty successful too, so far. So you originally piloted it um, in just a handful of schools. Is it now expanding this fall to more schools? So Amy, this is Erin. I'm sorry to break in. I will circle back to you on that. That's still being determined. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, so you, you should know that it is available to students throughout the city, but it's not being promoted. We wanted to see, make sure it was successful. You know, so we did a, you know, a lot of promotion to these 10 particular schools uh, so they could be evaluated and assessed and, and before taking the program, you know, I guess expanding it and amplifying it. Okay. And some of this, I mean, you know, Kiara, your daughter, has been very vocal about um, the mental health issues she faced in high school and beyond. And so how, the two of you working together, um, is that part of how this came about? And what else do you see as you know new programs that will be introduced into the city, particularly for the city's teens? Well, uh, that's a lot of questions. <laughs> uh, Kiara volunteered to be the face of this campaign, and, and we're so proud of her for doing that. And she feels very strongly about helping other young people uh, who are feeling overwhelmed or anxious or, um, you know, having those feelings that they can't cope. And again, we're just so proud of her for doing that. And we know we need to do more for our young people because we, we know, again, this is like the research and science that we have now that we didn't have 50 years ago. We know that the first signs of, of um, uh, mental health challenges actually occur around the age of 14. That's when, not in every case, but um, again, that's the average. The average age is 14, but uh, kids don't get help until nine years later. That's also the average, nine years later. So a, a young person can show symptoms at 14, but then not get any treatment until they're 23. And that's, that's just so late. There are so many lost years in there. 
I'm just going to jump in with a question here. Can you talk a little bit about, I mean, kids are really stressed these days, and, and you know that firsthand, obviously, with your kids. Yeah. Um, is, it, is that something new, or have they just always been and we're just starting to talk about it now? Well, I think it's a hard thing to measure. Um, certainly, uh, kids today have many more distractions many more ways of, of communicating that can put pressure on them in terms of their peers. And parents work harder. I mean, we, when I was growing up, it was not, not the rule, but there were often stay, there were stay-at-home moms, you know, a lot of them. And we don't have that today. And I think that, that makes it harder for kids. Do you think the city is particularly tough for teens? Just I'm thinking as my daughters enter eighth grade next year and embark on the high school admissions process and testing mm-hmm. and all that, um, there does seem to be a unique set of pressures on city kids because of, you know, there's sort of the flip side of choice, which is the stress of choice and the stress of not knowing where you're going to be next. I, I agree with you. It's, it, it is two sides of the point. It certainly, it's, it certainly is wonderful to have so many options. So that if you're a child who, you know, leans to the arts and music and all of those, you know, those things, then there's a place for you, right? And that's amazing. It's really amazing to be in the city for that reason. But then, if you're someone who has multiple talents, <laughs> uh, then yeah, you got a lot of choices. But I, I think. Um, I think it's just a very individual thing, and it's not so much about uh, lack of choice or too many choices, it's how you handle coping in the city. And that young people need to know how to cope wherever they are. Is this something you think that schools could be more proactive about? From Absolutely, absolutely. I believe that those social emotional skills that young people need to be able to to cope with life's challenges should be taught, you know, as, as soon as they get in school, um, as early as possible, because those challenges don't go away um, as part of life. And the kids need to know, know how to, you know, how to meditate or how to use, how to use art or physical exercise to, you know, to, to take it down a notch. That's really interesting, right? Because those are the programs being cut from schools um, left and right are the music programs, the art programs, and um, and we certainly phys ed, which is now maybe once a week in most schools. And that's a mistake. Yeah, I agree. So how do we change that? <laughs> now that we have you on the phone. <laughs> you know, I'm doing everything I can to make sure that we get as much back as possible. You know, it's not, it, it, you know, it's common sense that we need these, you know, these uh, outlets. They're not just outlets, though. They're just, they're part of, you know, how we, how we navigate life and how we make life richer and better and healthier. Uh, we, we need green spaces. We need art. We need exercise. It's, it's really a no-brainer. But now we've, we've got a big job ahead of us to, to get it back where it's been taken away. 
because our kids are suffering. Yeah. Well, I think the texting hotline is really a great first step. Um, you know, I think the fact that kids have that as an outlet, I'm sure, just from my own experience having two teens, that that is going to be utilized way more than had they have to make a phone call, which they don't even seem to know how to do anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> so thank you for rolling that out. And we will definitely keep our eye on how the program expands and other initiatives that roll out. Great. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Talking tech, apps, entertainment, and issues around parenting the digital generation. This is Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. Hi. Welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy from KidsViews.com, and I am here today in the studio with Amy Oztan of SelfishMom.com. Hi, Amy. And Andrea Smith, who we've now decided is just tech guru <laughs> knocking over her microphone over microphone, so not being very tech savvy right now no i haven't worked in radio for 20 years no not me but yay we're all three together yes in person in a while yes yes it's nice i'll be in the studio and it's actually turning to spring outside yeah i don't know i still Slowly. have snow outside my no. house sorry don't give me that spring stuff <laughs> well we yet. did spring forward so that took that was a horrible week i have to tell you that one hour made like it was awful. Everyone in my family was cranky and tired. And Isn't that weird? You know, normally, yeah, one I hour. don't feel it. Normally, you know, my, my bedtime is all over the place, so normally the hour doesn't affect me that much, except the morning after we did that this year, I had to get up at 4.30 anyway to catch a train, which oh. meant that I was really getting up at 3.30. That just sucked an unbelievable amount. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. All right, so we're not going to talk about daylight savings because okay. it's already a moot point. I, I said I would vote for any politician that would just say they were getting rid of it. I don't even know. I don't care what the rest of their views are. Hell, I think I'd vote for yeah. them. Yeah. But um, we're going to talk about three things today. The first is homework. Um, a public school here in New York City <laughs> um, has banned homework. The principal sent home a letter, and it started off a new discussion about whether or not homework is important. Um, and we have some... We'll have a discussion about whether we like homework or not. And then Amy actually had posted on Facebook a math equation that's going around. Um, that just I just want to know the answer to it. <laughs> well, so it was what, the great thing about it was how much math do you remember from growing up, and should you be helping with your children with their homework and stop complaining that you, that it's too hard for you to help them, and maybe the problem is you're not supposed to help them. Yeah. So we'll discuss that, and then we're going to talk about um, is being a stay-at-home parent a luxury, based on a blog post um, in the mother load in the New York Times this week, which was actually a great essay um, about this whole idea of stay-at-home moms living the life. <laughs> bonbons, <laughs> yeah, baby. Bonbons. Bon- I don't so even know what a bonbon so is. Soap operas and bonbons. bonbons. Are, that's what it is. Um, but that sounds like my life as a teenager. But anyway, <laughs> that's what I did. But um, And then we're going to have our digital dilemma, a little bit about technology in the schools and what we as parents should be advocating for or not. And then we'll have our bites of the week as usual. So let's jump right in and talk about homework. Um, This week, PS116, which is in the Kipps Bay neighborhood of Manhattan, um, which is a fairly progressive public elementary school. When I always say progressive public elementary, it's like you can only be so progressive as a public elementary school in New York City because you're dealing with testing starting in third grade. Um, But the principal sent home a letter saying, we would like your children to play. There have been numerous studies showing there is no benefit to homework whatsoever in these early years. And we would rather your child be engaging with you and having time to play and be a child and that this is putting undue stress on parents and children alike. 
And there was very mixed reaction. Some parents felt like, how are they going to cope with the real world if this is what you do? And how are they going to adjust to middle school? They're going to be totally sideswiped in middle school. And then there were parents who said, thank God, you know, this homework is just nothing but a huge fight every night in our house. And I'm so glad they're getting rid of it. So okay. what do you guys think? You know, I have a theory about the parents who don't want to get rid of homework. And it has to do a lot with what we've talked about in past weeks about kids having independence. I think that those parents are afraid that if their kids aren't doing two hours of homework each night, they're going to be playing video games and watching TV because they're not going to let their kids just go outside and play. I used to do my homework in front of the TV. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what kids today do. (laughs) Yeah. So I I really I wonder how much of it really is about the homework and about the loss of learning that they claim won't be happening um, and how much of it is just the fact that they don't want to deal with their kids having an extra two hours of time to fill. Wow, if your kid had two hours of homework in third grade, I would say there was yeah. a problem. Oh, yeah. My son had an hour in kindergarten. It was ridiculous. Oh, we didn't have that. But, you know, I think about all the parents who sit with their kids to do homework. So my son had a friend in elementary school, and I remember there was one mom who every night thought it was her job to sit next to her kid and hold his hand while he did his homework. Otherwise, he wouldn't do it. I think that's like kind of an issue because I think that, that you're trying to teach independence. You're trying to teach, okay, you learn this in school. This is reinforcing it at home. You do it. It's not for me to do. Um, so those people are probably thrilled at getting rid of homework because it frees them up yeah. and not just their kids. But, but I also wonder, though, I mean... And, and again, my son was in elementary school quite a while back. I think middle school and high school, when kids are doing after-school activities and have sports, some have part-time jobs, that's when the homework becomes really overloading. Well, I have a son in eighth grade and a daughter in fifth grade, and I found that, that the older they got, the less homework they got. So I think that the middle school and high school, well, we don't have high school experience yet, um, but the middle school, I, I think they recognize that because my son definitely didn't have as much in middle school as he did in elementary school, which I thought was That's interesting. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. So I'm going to read you. This is Alfie Cohn, who's a pretty amazing um, academic researcher and writer. I love him. He's written um, The Schools Our Children Deserve, The Homework Myth, and Feel Bad Education and other contrarian essays on children and schooling. And I would suggest going to his website. It's alfiecone.org. But he wrote an article, and this was two years ago, because this comes up all the time, when a huge study came out about homework having no benefits whatsoever. Um, and one of the things he wrote about was, first, no research has ever found a benefit to assigning homework of any kind or in any amount in elementary school. In fact, there isn't even a positive correlation between, on the one hand, having younger children do some homework versus none or more versus less. And on the other hand, any measure of achievement. If we're making 12-year-olds, much less 5-year-olds do homework, it's either because we're misinformed about what the evidence says or because we think kids ought to have to do homework despite what the evidence says. Yeah. yeah. That's well, crazy. You can show that kind of thing to parents and they will say, I don't care. It feels right to make my kid do homework. Right. Because, because I did, did homework. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. You know, when um, a few years ago I saw Marsha Gay Harden speak and she talked about why she was homeschooling her kids. And she, one of the main things was homework. She said she was a working actress and she'd come back from a set or come back from a job and it would be late. And then her kids would be, because guess what? Your kids didn't come home and do homework instead of watching video games. They actually (laughs) came home and played and did whatever and then waited to do their homework till seven or eight at night. You know, you got home, waited till after dinner. And now your kid's exhausted. You're exhausted. And now the homework begins. Right. So whenever you see people with huge homework battles with their kids, it's usually because 
it hasn't begun until yeah. seven or eight at mm-hmm. night, and everyone's tired, and everyone's annoyed, and everyone's exhausted, and it becomes this push pull. And I actually think it's very anti working parents. Oh, homework. absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, I have the luxury of being home when my kids get home, and the rule has always been you can set a timer for 15 minutes, you can um, get a snack, you can relax a little bit, and then you start your homework. Because if we did wait later, it was disastrous. And I, I really feel like it, it wasn't my job to help my kids with their homework. There was no help going on. My son didn't really need help. My daughter was the opposite. She will ask me 10 questions before she actually tries to solve something herself. So she just needs to be left alone. But it was my job to help my son sit there and focus. Like he, especially when he was younger, he had absolutely no focus. And I do get what the parents are saying about it creating better habits for later on. So here's the solution. Your kids are still supposed to be reading. How about they come home, they get their snack, they sit, they read for half an hour. That will get them into the, the habit of, of, you know, the good habits right? At, without the stupid homework, but with wonderful reading. And don't make them write about it afterwards. Just oh, let reading them log read. is the worst. So that is what this principal said. And she said, take your kids to the grocery store and have them weigh things yeah. and talk about what you're making for dinner. Make a recipe list. Mm-hmm. Like, have some real world conversations with your kids about things that are going on. Have them watch the news if they're if it's age appropriate and talk about what's going on in the news or, how, or read the paper in front of them. That, like, there should be real world interaction one of my daughters did have homework and one of the teachers did try to get rid of it in second grade and it was the parents who rebelled and said no they need homework wow that's she was not happy um she was really not happy i should have had her on today and then um they had teachers the teachers i really liked would do a homework packet so it'd give a homework packet on monday and you had till friday to complete it that makes sense because yes. then if maybe you do have an activity maybe mm-hmm. you have a doctor's appointment and you have to wait in the office waiting room for an hour and so you're sitting there and you want to say do your homework but you're in a you know you're in a waiting room so right. you can't really do it and then you have that struggle of nighttime and it really does put a lot of onus on parents to be the bad guy at nighttime when they really want to be hanging out with their kids how was your day talking to them right having a packet that you can kind of help um, you know, manage and structure and, and learn about time management, right. which is really a great right. thing. You have piano on Tuesday. Yeah. You have ballet on Thursday. So what do you think? Thursday. When do you want to do your homework? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and I mean, I know people who hire tutors for their kids, not really to tutor them, but just to, to sit, sit with, with them. them and do their homework. Yeah. And it also puts you in the position of being against a teacher, which I really hate because I'm so pro-teacher except for homework so when my kids would have too much if i ever told my son he didn't have to do it he would be he would be fine with that but on days when my daughter has had too much i've just told her don't finish it right. just don't do it what's the worst that can happen and she won't do it like she she has to finish it well she doesn't want to disappoint her teacher exactly and so i just i just feel like it sets up this whole extra battle where i'm telling them to listen to their teachers Except for this, which right. is terrible. And what's interesting is when the work does get harder in middle school and high school with homework, a lot of it is not due the next day. Right. A lot of it is a research paper, a thing like this. So I'm not sure what nightly homework, doing these sort of worksheets over and over, um, does for yeah. kids. You know, I don't know if it instills any kind of habit in them. Who likes bringing work home after work? Yeah. No one. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So that's what we all stand on homework. Get rid of it. Yeah, and, um, and, and which segues into the issue of are you even qualified to help your child <laughs> right. do his or her homework? Because pretty much every teacher, I mean, I'd say about half the teachers that my kids have had in elementary school sent home some kind of letter explaining how they wanted me to help or their dad to help with the homework every night and check it over with them. And I was like, no, absolutely See, we always not. had the opposite letter. 
We huh. had the letter that was, this is your child's homework, and I need to know if they don't understand things. That's awesome. So if that they makes don't, perfect right, sense elementary school to me. getting a grade. Yeah. So it was like, please, right. hands off. Like, I don't want you checking your child's work. Mm-hmm. I don't want you looking it over, or I will never know what they don't know. That makes so much sense, um, because I, I, I forwarded this math problem that was going around Facebook all weekend. It was driving people crazy. And it wasn't a difficult math problem. I'll put it up on our Facebook page. It all hinged on whether or not you remembered certain rules from elementary school. Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. Well, don't give them the code. <laughs> well, Jesus. that's what it hinged on. Um, but yeah, it was it was uh, it was it was seven plus seven divided by seven plus seven times seven minus seven with no parentheses. With no parentheses, that's what made it hard. Uh, yeah, if you put in the parentheses, if you know where to put those in, it, it, it it's easier. But. Um, about half the people on my Facebook page got it wrong. And those are people who might be helping their kids with homework. Right, and then yelling about the new math, and then yelling about Common Core. Well, yeah, can I just ask, like, Common Core? New math was going on 20 years ago yeah, when math, my son was every, in elementary school. So what's years, new math? Is there new new math now? <laughs> or is it just the same new math no, that doesn't have a new it name? It is not new new math. It is, yeah. it, it is it's that the Chicago same new math. math. It is exactly that Holy math. cow, and they're still calling it new math? No, that's what, that's what parents will call it. It's con- Now they're calling it Common Core, but it's the same thing. Oh. It's it's much trickier. I hated that. To look right. Can and I all parents say, hate it because that. nobody grew up with it. Yeah. Right. And it's not and, and you still I can get to the answer, but I can't show my daughter how to get to the answer the way that her teacher taught her right. how to and get to And you have so to I, show your work. Right. So I'm I'm I can't help her anyway. But right, what so is how do we solve this equation? I'm dying to know. I'll show you after, okay. after class. No, I'll, I'll I'll put it on the Facebook page because it, it just really showed that if you don't remember what you learned in fifth, sixth, seventh grade, you and most of us don't, you have no business helping your kid and the teacher has no business wow. expecting right. you and to. And that's when you should go online and look at Khan Academy or yeah. or one of the other there's actually some great math tutoring oh, ones math that we like better than Khan yeah. Academy um, that do a better job of explaining but you could but we could, so could anything. you go on and find out how to solve that equation oh, 100% yeah. okay. you could Without, type that equation into Google and it yeah. will come up wow Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. My daughters, because they're using all these math sheets that are just standard, you could type in an entire word problem and you will get exactly that word problem to come up on Google and see how to solve it. Hmm. It's pretty unbelievable, which is maybe the other reason they shouldn't have homework. Because yeah. guess what? Kids can yeah. just Google it. Just Google it. <laughs> yeah, my, my son in- never used to ask me for homework help anyway. But now when he has a problem, he's just texting his friends. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now I'm, I'm just out of the equation. And I'm, I'm glad. So to speak. So right. to speak. Very <laughs> good. But I actually think that's whatever. That's a whole other discussion. But math and science at the higher levels is collaborative. Yeah. No yeah. scientist works in a lab by themselves. So that's a whole other discussion. But that's like when I see those big math equations on Jeopardy, and I think, who knows that? Who remembers how to do that except for I, someone who uh, yeah. went like to engineering school or studied math and later I was on college. the math team, okay. and I somehow oh god, what a nerd! I, Amy. I totally, and I can't remember where I was two days ago, but I can remember how to do math from like ninth, tenth grade. I'm impressed. No, I'd rather have that space in my brain to remember where I was two days <laughs> rather ago. than pi. Yeah, and it was pi day. Happy pi day. It was. All right, so this kind of segues right into this idea of is being a stay-at-home mom 
or parent, I should say, or dad. And Lance was here a couple weeks ago. You can listen to that podcast. We talked about the whole thing on stay-at-home dads, the new movement. Um, but most most families, still the great majority, are the mom as caretaker, um, whether it's stay-at-home or not, mom doing the majority of the work. So certainly with stay-at-home parents, moms are still the great majority. So there was, was a really interesting article by Allison Carter. It was in the Motherload blog in the New York Times. And last week we talked about changes for moms in the workplace. We talked about that article where <laughs> I saw the light. Catherine's Being lucky. more understanding <laughs> yes, of working moms. Being more flexible and understanding. Um, and Vodafone's new maternity policy being great. But this week, this was this article really made the rounds on social media um, and struck a nerve. And it is amazing when you are a stay-at-home mom that people say you're so lucky that you have the ability to do that. Or you're so lucky. That's such a luxury. But um, you know what's interesting? We were just talking about homework. And Amy said, I have the luxury of being home when they come home from school. Yeah. And I, that struck me when you said it because... It feels like a luxury, the fact that today moms are able to be with their kids. Yeah, instead of just being normal. Yeah. That's not the status quo. It is a luxury, I think. But to the point of this author, it's not so luxurious. I mean, you do a lot. You handle a lot. You're like the chief uh, cook and bottle washer. Yeah, and and the author talked a lot about how it was a financial sacrifice for them um, to have one person at home. I think that's the big difference. Back in the 50s, you know, everybody just lived on one income so you had that other person around to take care of the stuff that had to be taken care of between nine and five um nowadays it's just that much harder and i i can't really identify with that part of the article because i'm not even going to pretend that i have the earning power that my husband does that that didn't play into the decision he went to law school i went to school for musical theater so it's pretty obvious which one of us is making the cash but i I could contribute more by going out and getting an office job instead of freelancing from home. But then who is going to be there when the kids get home? Mm-hmm. Who is going to be there to take them to doctor's appointments and take the dry cleaning in and all that stupid stuff? I, life is just easier when there's one person, I don't care which one it is, who's around to do to Everybody do needs stuff. a wife, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so she writes, this is what she wrote, luxury is a loaded word. Yes, it is absolutely true that my husband and I are lucky that he has been able to secure and keep a job that can pay for us all to live. I'm aware that there are many families who require a dual income to successfully sustain their child's basic needs. Raising children is expensive and on the rise. And for many families, the financial equation is hard. So that's almost kind of what you touched on, Amy, which is what would the cost of your child care be? I, I did go back to work for two months. And the cost of the child care just to get them from school and take care of them for a few hours was almost as much as I was making. Right. So then you, here's your trade-off. Is it... You were a freelance before, right? So you weren't giving up a big job when your kids were born. Right. Um, I was the same way. I was freelance. I was a freelance writer. It was not like I was stepping out of my office job and like I was a, on the partner track at a law firm or something where all of a sudden I was going to be totally sidetracked if I took that time off and then went back in. So it's a different kind of discussion because then it becomes about what you're getting your child, how much you're making versus how much child care is. And that's always a discussion. And then what the worth is of that. Right. So in a city like New York, where you might pay thirty five thousand dollars for a full time nanny easily, um, you have to basically make 70 to clear thirty five thousand dollars. So now if you're making 70 and you're all you're doing with that money is being able to pay for child care and taxes and taxes and it might not seem worth it to you. Right. But it might be if 
keeping your foot in the game or you want to work which you're totally entitled to do like suddenly that's it's totally worth it i might be i might only be covering childcare, but i'm working every day and that's what i want to do and that's what keeps me sane go for it well you know, you know in a way that's what i did um you know i stepped back from a full-time job at abc news but i didn't give it up completely i went and did a job share so i looked at the money and i was able to make it work on three days a week as opposed to five um, and so it was feasible for me, but there was no way that I was going to just give up my career at that moment um, and be a full-time stay-at-home mom. Not because I didn't want to, but because I really, really wanted to continue a career soon after. Um, and I think that doing it that way, you know, we always talk about having it all here. You know, we've, we've talked about this a few times. Um, being able to be a part-time career woman and a part-time stay-at-home mom really felt to me like a luxury because there were days I knew that every Monday or every Friday I could schedule a play date or I could schedule a doctor appointment or I could schedule something um, that I wanted to be there with my son to do as opposed to the nanny. And I will often recall using that word luxury, even though I was giving up income and I was giving up um, you know, the career track that I might have been on had I not gone back to part-time. So it's true. It's really a loaded word, and it's really a very personal decision for right. people. It's a loaded word because it connotes this idea of wealth, right? The word right. luxury, this idea that you're affording something that no one else can afford. and Which is the case in a lot of Yeah, right. So, so that's very, right, that's a whole different discussion. Like you're, you're coming at this from a very privileged place. You just are. If you, if you do have the option of staying home where it's not because you couldn't get a job, it is, it is the luxury of choice. Right. That's what it is. But when I it's see, not a luxury when I see home. women who are doing that, not working and being home with their kids and then have a nanny, <laughs> then I'm like, okay, I'm judging. sorry. Then I'm judging. <laughs> and I'm like, that is over the top. Sorry. Learn to change a diaper and walk your kids right. to school. Now you're talking about a whole other Now you're talking wealth. about I don't like, know any of those people. Oh. <laughs> I do. I don't live in, in suburban New Jersey yeah. or the Upper come, West Side of Manhattan. Come to oh, there's suburban plenty New Jersey. Brooklyn, <laughs> there are plenty in Park Slope and Fort I mean, me, I Heights. was like, people looked at me like, really? You go to the city Every day, <laughs> and you work, yeah, yeah. But I do think, um, in you know, you do give up things. I mean, there is, you know, when you have, if you have a great job, um, and you have that kind of dual income that's really substantial, where you're making as much, if not more, than your husband, which is also the case very much now. Um, you do. You give up probably you give up vacations, you give mm-hmm. up a second home, you give up these things that you might see around you. That's very different also to make up the to make the choice to give up, quote unquote, a second home. You're not giving up, right? But is this idea that maybe you're not keeping up at the same level as other people right. are. Or maybe it's um, just no longer important to you at that time. Right. But also, right, that's the decision yeah, you make. It's right. more important for right. me to be with my kids right. than have a second home or to have a, and that is a luxury to be able to make that choice. It's not I can stay home with my kids or I can make the mortgage. Yeah. Right? It's right. Yeah, and I and I think that when you do have that choice, another thing that you're giving up is a whole lot of stress because like I said, when you've got that one person home to kind of guide everything like my husband just left this morning for three days in Arizona and logistically him being gone for three days will not affect the rest of the family one freaking bit which is kind of sad in a way like he's not bringing the kids anywhere he's not packing any lunches he's the one that's going off to an office for like 12 hours a day um 
when I left last week for two days away, do the laundry first. Yeah, do the laundry first. Pack the lunches. Try to food. Schedule everything. Make sure that everybody's going to get where they're going to go. Not because my husband is incompetent. He could do all of this stuff if he weren't going to be at the office for 12 hours a day and if that was what he did every day. Um, but when you take that person, you know, when you try to take that person out who is that that cog that everybody else is rotating around, uh, it really disrupts things and it really shows me just how essential I am to the running of our family. Right. They say everybody yeah. needs a wife, right? Yeah. Everybody needs right. a wife. Right. Which actually also leads me, there was a great article on Medium, on the website Medium, um, from a woman I know and I think I'm going to try to get her on. She talked about, you know, she'd been a full-time editor her whole life, very successful, great writer, great feature writer. And she talked about she's been home with her daughter for almost a year now, getting to know her, hanging out, doing things. And she wanted to go buy something, like at Sephora or somewhere, and thought, I don't have any money. You know, because all of a sudden she wasn't bringing in money. That's and she so thought... Weird. Can I spend, you know, my husband's money, even though legitimately we've just made this arrangement that I'm going to be home and you're going to bring in the money because you can do this right now. So that's a whole nother discussion, but no, fascinating but I, but to me. But I think me. that is the – so you can have this discussion about, okay, we decide to stay home and it's not a luxury or whatever. She's very defensive in this article. But that is the position women find themselves in, and that is another reality, right, which is – now your kids are old enough that they don't need you so much anymore, right? Both your kids are in high school. Your kids go off to college. And that is sort of a, something that happens to women very, very often is, who am I? Now what do I do? Or I had a friend just the other day whose children are getting older, and one of her friends went crazy on her saying, you know, you you don't know what you're doing with yourself. You have no life. You have no job. You have no career. You're going to be, you know, this is ridiculous. You've wasted all your time. and. She had a total meltdown because she thought, what am I going to do? And I should be looking for something to do. And I see my friends who stayed at home are all now going back to work in some capacity. Going back to school also. Going back to school, going back to work, finding something they want to do. I mean, a lot of my friends in suburban New Jersey who stayed home and had nannies, um, you know, are now saying, "Okay, I want something to do. And even if they want to volunteer, okay, even if they want to go join an organization and volunteer, forget getting paid. They haven't kept up with technology. They don't know how to make an Outlook calendar entry. They barely can do their AOL email. And it's amazing. A lot of them are going to school and taking classes, learning, if I want to step foot in an office, how do I do this? And uh, so, you know, it's something that you have to be aware of. How do I silence my phone when I'm doing a podcast? (laughs) Sorry, that was Rebecca totally calling you out. Never not turns it off. That's crazy. Um, Yeah, so I think... You know, that's something that, aside from the defensiveness of whether or not you have to defend being home, and I defended it all the time. I was 100%. I was at home with my daughters, um, and, uh, you know, it was hard. It was not all great. It was not, it was definitely some rough days, and the biggest rough days were what am I doing? What am I doing for myself? Where am I going to be left at the end of this? Um, and how do I find my way back in, which is why I started blogging, actually, when when they were about five and they started kindergarten. I was like, oh, I think my brain is starting to work again. Um, but it was awful. I will say it. Like, it was awful. We'd go to parties and people were like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm at home with my girls. And you just see this look on their face like they had no interest in talking to you anymore. Huh. Judgy, judgy, judgy. Yeah. And men and women, yeah. not, you know. And it's just you start to feel defensive. Like, I get the article why she feels so defensive. It, but It really is one of those cases where you have to do what's best for your family. Like, mm-hmm. there's no one size fits all answer. And I think I'm such a judgy person. But it's one of those things that I just 
there's no sense in judging other people for it. You are not no. in their shoes. It's you are such not a in their personal family. thing, right? Yeah. Well, usually people are judgy on either side, so you're either picking up something in them where then they feel bad that they went back to work or they were like there, there's always someone coming at it from another side and everyone's working off their own guilt yeah <laughs> so projecting onto the yeah. other person um but anyway well i would love know. to hear people's thoughts know, on this me too i would love to hear what you think so come join us on facebook let us know what you think let us know if you have a dilemma to talk about yep so let's talk very briefly about our digital dilemma which is um Andrew, do you want to intro sort of why we're going to talk about this yeah. a little bit? <laughs> so there was a story, um, I think it's the BBC is buying and donating um, these small computers to a school system. Um, at first I thought it was like the Raspberry Pi, but it's not. They're not like a circuit board but they're, almost. But they're trying they're so to weird. do it in a way to teach kids coding. You know, we talk all the time about teaching kids about coding, teaching them, you know, STEM, whether they're boys or girls. Um, and this struck me because I thought, oh, how cool. People are donating money. And we hear it all the time, people donating money to put technology in schools. Great. But then Rebecca and I have had this conversation for years when I thought, when I told her, oh, look at all these iPads being donated. And Rebecca has said, that's great. But who's teaching it? Where are the people trained to teach it? And so that's where this this dilemma comes in. How can you just throw money or you think you're throwing money at the problem and solving it, but there's so much more. Well, there's just, you are now going to give a million kids these tools to code and no one to teach them to code. Is there nothing coming with it? There's no Didn't education? look like it. The big announcement was spending a million dollars, yeah. getting a to, million kids. To put them in the hands of kids. And they're weird. And they're not even computers. They're like these weird yeah, things that hook things. into, that teach you how so to code. So my question is, do kids need to be taught? I mean, that's yes. my first question. Do they need to be taught, or can they just look at it and go, this is cool, I'm going to figure out how to make no. a motorcycle? I think coding, you need to be taught, and uh, and coding's hard, and it is a skill, just like, that's like saying they'll just figure out math. I mean, coding's hard. <laughs> or they'll call Amy. Yeah, it's not learning how to play an app. Um, you know, it's not giving a kid an iPad and saying, ooh, figure out how it works. It's figure out how to build your own app. I mean, coding is hard. Yeah. Um, and you need those building blocks. And the fact is, we don't have enough teachers to teach coding. So maybe the first step before we're worried about every all these kids having the skills to code, we need to be teaching the teachers <laughs> to code. Um, because what happens in most schools now with computer labs, and this we've seen over and over again, these schools get these technology grants, they build these big fancy computer rooms, mm-hmm. and they do PowerPoint. That's what they do. They make brochures. They make brochures. Right. They make brochures. Right. All my kids have done in technology is make right. brochures. Um, or the librarian's teaching technology. She doesn't know anything about technology either. So they're yeah. So it's like you make brochures. You're learning right. how to research. You learn how to do it. a spreadsheet. Yeah. It's like maybe. Maybe. I, I would have been I, thrilled if my kids had I would have, too. If my kids had done yeah. Excel, I would have been thrilled. Because no, my son learned brochures. that in school. He learned that, and then he became my chief Excel spreadsheet. You know, like, I still call him and say, how do I add up this column? <laughs> still, nope. to this day. My girls made brochures. <laughs> and um, so I think in some schools, the computer room's locked because there's no one to teach it. So, you know. So what's the answer? I mean, I think it's great when organizations want to contribute money and, and put these things in kids' hands. So I don't know what the answer is. The answer is to recruit teachers. 
The answer is to go to all those polytechnic schools and all those schools and say, you're going to do 10 hours in a public school hmm. once, you know, for every month and you're going to get credit for it mm-hmm. and like start. Or forgive your loans or something. Yeah, or forgive your loans. Like you need an army of teachers who know how to teach coding, hmm. um, I think, for it to be meaningful to kids. It can't be a one-off thing they do for whatever. I mean, that's why a lot of times it's done in after school because mm-hmm. those after school programs have the teachers. Yeah, they, they pay. Have, right. They pay them. And they have these people come in and teach coding, but you can't scale that. That's the problem. So I don't know. If I were these companies, if I were Intel and Microsoft, and Microsoft just donated a ton of stuff to the New York City public school system because I want all the kids using Microsoft. Because guess what? All the schools are using Google Docs. They're not using Microsoft anymore. So everyone's like, that's so awesome. And I'm like, oh, that's like giant, (laughs) smart, (laughs) life-saving strategy on their part. Right. Um, And then parents say, well, I want to buy a computer. Why don't I get exactly what my kid has at school so that they know what, you know, what to do at home? I mean, schools who spend $5,000 on a smart board. Mm-hmm. who some teachers got great training on them and do others amazing things and others it. it's a whiteboard it's a $5,000 whiteboard wow. Wow. so what I would say is if you are a parent and you're advocating for more technology in the schools like first of all look beyond the bells and whistles when you're touring a school and looking at that stuff but ask who is going to before we spend $40,000 on iPads when our kids don't have markers and crayons who's going to teach what's your plan to teach with those iPads and a lot of the problem is that the tech companies and and the people who do these big donations they want to give the tech maybe it's up to the school to say okay we will accept your $250,000 worth of computer equipment if you also give us $50,000 worth of markers and paper towels or professional development or a grant for for teachers teachers. right so that happened in our school or come train our teachers our school spent $40,000 $40,000 on iPads and every teacher got two because that, that's useful for every teacher to have two iPads in a class of 30 kids and guess Case what you drop one. then they came back to us the parents association and said and now we need you guys to give us $10,000 so we can buy apps so it's brilliant on Apple's part they get all these teachers to buy into all these things they can mm-hmm. do with the iPad they bring them in and then they they have no money to buy uh. the actual apps and all the stuff they need to use they got no training they get training that shows them all the things they could do if they had all these apps and we said no said you didn't have a plan show us the plan and why do you have two ipads in every classroom like why didn't you just make a cart of 30 ipads that travels Mm -hmm. from classroom like whatever it is it was just so not thought out but everyone panicked and felt like they needed ipads in their schools and it's a big old scam yeah and then (laughs) apple makes money yeah yeah um so anyway, that's my that's not a dilemma for me. I say get some markers and paper in your school. But every kid they do need kids do need to be exposed to technology yes. in school, particularly in schools where they don't have it at home. It just has to be a really there must be a better way. There has way. to be a plan for teaching it, for for enacting it, teaching it yeah. and giving kids something that they'll benefit from. Yeah, and I think every parent should ask that question if there is a meeting before about bringing technology into schools, particularly if they want parents to help pay for it. It is how will it be used and what is Mm -hmm. the plan? And every government official should be asking that too. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Talking tech, apps, entertainment, and issues around parenting the digital generation. This is Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. All right, so now we have our Bites of the Week. Who wants to go first? Uh, I can go first. All right, Amy's going Um, first. So last week I wasn't on the show because I was in D.C. with Kidda. It's Kidda. Is that how you say Kidda? It's I not it Kitty. Kitty. Although, I, no, there was actually a slide in their presentation on how to pronounce it. It's Where are they? What, what car is it? German? 
I don't Dutch? know. I, I I don't know. But it's K I D D E. K I D D E. Um, but and it's named after the person who founded it. But I don't know. I'll find mm. out. Um, but so but but they they acknowledge that most people call it kitty, so it's okay. <laughs> um, so I, I'm starting my second year working with them. They're a wonderful company. So let me just say, they pay me, all right? I'm about to give this recommendation. They pay me, but I like them because I liked their products before I ever had any relationship with them. Um, it was a really sad trip in a lot of ways because we visited a burn center. We learned a lot about the stats of how many people die. You should say what they make. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I just assume just, that everyone knows. They didn't just um, take you on a tour of no, awful things. A random no burn reason. center tour. No, I'm sorry. Thank you. Uh, can I make smoke alarms and carbon monoxide alarms and fire extinguishers and all sorts of, of fire safety equipment, escape ladders, things like that. Um, so it's a great company to work with. They do good things. And um, they... It, it, one one of the the stats I uh, just the overwhelming number of people who die in fires I think it's two thirds did not have a working smoke alarm in their house. Um, it, they didn't have one at all, or they had one and the battery was out. So many people, it starts beeping in the middle of the night, and they just take the battery. Out. Out. Yeah, exactly. Because I hit it with the broom. Up. Yeah, that's what everybody does. Or you rip it out of the wall and you throw it in the garage. Or if you're Phoebe on Friends, you throw it down the garbage chute and it still beeps and you can't kill it. And that is responsible for a lot of deaths. And Kida has this wonderful line of products called the Worry-Free Alarms. And they, are, they have 10-year sealed lithium batteries. So no more changing the battery every six months, nothing like oh, that. That's you, cool. Yeah, you put the thing up on the ceiling and it stays there for ten years, and it won't beep unless something is wrong, or it's at the end of the ten years and it's time to throw it out and get a new one. Mm. Um, so I highly, highly recommend if you don't have working smoke detectors or they're older than seven years, and you're you're not because they don't last forever. The older ones last seven years, the newer ones usually last ten. Um, check them, and if you're at all in doubt. Get new ones, and I highly recommend the worry-free ones with the sealed-in battery because then you're not going to be taking it down and trying to get it to shut up because it's not going so to. So it do doesn't that go beat. off when you burn bacon. Well, if you burn bacon yeah. bad enough, it'll still go off. Although they do have a special kitchen one mm -hmm. that cuts down on false alarms from cooking and tries to detect an actual mm. fire. Oh, that's so good. that's really that's good, good, good timing. It's good yeah. timing because last week we sprung forward. Right, it was daylight saving time. You're supposed to check your batteries yeah. and your smoke detector. So it's actually really good timing for this. Yeah, and we actually went around. We, we, we did a lot of things with a fire department in Maryland, and we actually went door to door and asked people if they needed a new, uh, you know, if they had working smoke alarms. And uh, the first house we stopped in, she said, yeah, it's in the garage. It wouldn't <laughs> stop making noise. <laughs> I mean... There you go. That's it. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. Not going to do a lot of good there. Nope. No. All right, Andrea, what's so your So speaking bite? of noise, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of noise, so the thing is, as we age, our ears get a little more sensitive. I know when I was at some uh, some of the parties at CES in January and the, the loud music, really loud music, and you just, you know, can't is it because you can't filter? What is it? Well, it's I, I don't know. I think it may be, or just maybe from listening to loud music for so many years. <laughs> I don't know. Um, a lot of times at the gym, in a gym class, there'll be music really, really loud, and it's a little too loud for me, or spin class, really loud, but I still want to hear the instructor. And also, a lot of parents want their kids to be able to listen to music on their devices, but not have it 
pounding through and not be able to hear the outside. So um, I was sent this Dubs Acoustic Filters. They're little teeny tiny earbuds, and Amy will probably take a picture of them and put them up on our website. (laughs) But I have to say, I have tried them. Um, I was just testing them to see. Wearing them at the gym is really great because while other people may like that loud pounding music in a gym class, I don't love it anymore. And it takes away from the enjoyment for me. And it just dampens it down a little bit. It filters that sound, but I can still hear the instructor. And it also doesn't make the music. I thought it would make the music like, wah, wah, wah. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like just Charlie Brown kind of music. But you can still hear the music the same. It doesn't change what you're listening to. So they're about That's $25 cool. on Amazon. Not that much money. And I think they're worth a try nice. for adults yeah. and children. All right. Um, so I will go. So my girls and I went to a prom girl fashion show Ooh. last week, um, and it was like every girl's fantasy party. They did your nails, they did your hair, they had Dylan's candy bar, um, and then they had a fashion show of all these prom fashions and whatever. My daughters are years away from prom, but it was like a fun thing to do. And you know, it turns out so prom is a huge deal. Right. Prom for many girls. This is it. This is like the night they get to dress up like a princess and maybe they've got a good boyfriend they're going with or maybe not. Maybe it's drama, whatever it is. There is a great organization called Operation Prom that supplies prom dresses to girls in need. Girls who Uh. couldn't otherwise afford a dream prom dress with their belief that every girl deserves to be beautiful and have a beautiful dress on prom. And it's a really amazing organization, and they will take your gently used prom dresses, but they also work with tons of designers. They get tons of over just Bloomingdale's. Um, And so I would highly recommend (laughs) um, Operation Prom. The girl has to be recommended by, like, her guidance counselor, and then it goes through the process. But their goal is to be in all 50 states, and right now they're in a bunch. They're in, like, 10 or 12, I think. Um, and it's really great. I mean, it's a really great resource. And then my other resource for prom, because it's prom season, is Charlotte's Closet, which just launched. It is a rent the runway for tween and teen girls. Oh, that's nice. Yes. So for if you wanted a $350 prom dress and your parents are like, you're insane, <laughs> um, you can rent it for 50 bucks. Nice. And it's actually really nice because I know at the time you might feel like it's my prom dress. You but what do you do? You'll never wear it again. Wear it. It's like a wedding dress. And, okay. it, and it will get thrown out when your parents yes. move. No, <laughs> like I, I still have my prom dresses from 1989 and 1990. You do? Sitting in a closet. I mean, do you wear them? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes, I could fit it on yeah. one thigh right now. <laughs> I was going to say. See, I don't have mine. I look at my wedding dress even. It's like, really? Which <laughs> side of my body fit into that? <laughs> See, you should donate them, although they're so like 80s. Although oh, they're that's so 80s. So yes, I heard, but I they like might be Jessica. back in fashion again. But I know. I, I think the idea of McClintock. <laughs> I think the idea of donating a yes. gently used or once used prom dress is fantastic. It's fantastic. Yes. So, or a Sweet Sixteen dress, or a Bat Mitzvah dress, or whatever, yeah. or even bridesmaids. Um, those dresses are ridiculously expensive. They are. Um, there were some of these prom dresses. This fashion show were like nine hundred dollars. I can't remember the name. I'll find it and post it on our Facebook page. But I actually saw something on Good Morning America the other day with a rent the runway type thing for weddings. 
Uh, for, mostly for a wedding for the dress. Dresses. I'm also yeah. obsessed with Rent the Runway, by the way. I, <laughs> I think it's like the greatest thing ever. Because, again, who needs Have to you, spend $500 right. on a dress when you can rent it for 50 yeah. and you're never wear it again either. Um, so those are my two things. I would Operation Prom, if you have gently used or you just want to donate mm. to them because I think I it's think great. I think that's great. And Charlotte's Closet, if you have a tweener teen girl who's looking to look fabulous and you're like, you're not spending the money. Do they, the way Rent the Runway will tell you, like, oh, there's other people going to this event and this is what they're wearing? I don't think they're that sophisticated okay. yet. Because that um, would be cool. And they definitely don't have a ton of stock yet. Like, they didn't have the big brands on yet, like the Sherry Hills and the Giovanni, like those brands that are like the big prom brands on yet. They had a bunch, and the stuff they had was definitely maybe regularly priced like 200 to 300 They didn't have the stuff that's priced like 500 to 800 mm-hmm. So it's not like Rent the Runway in that way. But I'm hoping that as they grow Charlotte's Closet, they start to get those bigger brands. Because unfortunately... That would be cool. I, these girls, because yeah. of the internet, they see these dresses, and then they yeah. see the celebrities wearing them, and they... And it's they so hard when you don't have the money right. to, to buy do one. It. And it promgirl.com, I will also say, has a huge range of prices, which was really nice. You can put in your price range, and you can say, like, I can't spend more than $150 yep. or whatever it is, and you yeah, can put that this in. is my budget. I think that's great. Yeah, good. Great. Well, thanks, ladies. Thank, Thank you. you. Good Thank to you see you listening. all in person. Yep. So, so go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Parenting Bites, and you will find all the links with everything we talked about today. Amy does this bang-up job of putting everything in there every week. And I have to say that I had to listen to the ones that I'm not on to just write them up, and I, I really enjoy listening when I'm not on. Oh, good. It's fun. <laughs> and she thinks, I would have said this. I was th- I just do. thinking. Oh, I do. I talk back to Do you to talk back to us? I do, because you always hit topics that I wish I had been there to talk about, and oh. I get angry. We'll have to have an Amy recap. <laughs> That's it. And uh, we're also on Twitter at parenting underscore bites. But it's just we're just sitting on that till that person squatting on our name. <laughs> <laughs> but look for us on iTunes, Parenting Bites. Subscribe, please rate us, review us. And also on play.it, you can find us. So you can do Android for an Android user. That's the best place. Subscribe. We'll have the Android app ready for you. Till next week. Perfect. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Have a good week. Bye. <laughs>